The Irish Times Books Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's ethically sourced cocoa for a delicious chocolate taste. Welcome to the Irish Times Books Podcast. In this latest episode, I talk to the Irish Times two regular crime fiction reviewers, Declan Burke and Declan Hughes, both themselves acclaimed crime writers, about their favourite crime fiction of 2019. I chip in with some thoughts of my own. McHeron, he's great, and Jane Harper's The Lost Man is simply superb. Although, as I get most of my recommendations from the two Declans, I can't claim that they are terribly original. Given that both reviewers are called Declan, this may be a little confusing for some listeners, but the first person I talk to is Declan Hughes, so if you pay close attention to his dulcet tones, you'll be grand. So get your pen and paper ready to take note of some excellent suggestions for your crime reading pleasure. Welcome. Thank Thank you very very much. much. (laughs) So today it's coming towards the the end of the year and so I thought it would be a good opportunity to take stock and look back over some of the highlights of the year. Uh, Declan Hughes, if I could start with you first, um, could you tell me, say, what was your favourite crime novel of the year? I think my favourite crime novel of the year was a book called The Sleepwalker by Joseph Knox. It's his third in a series featuring a detective called Aidan Waits, who is a police detective, but the books have all of the aura and values of classic noir PI fiction. Waits is an outsider. He has a sort of uh, twisted, dark background. There's a wonderfully atmospheric Manchester, almost permanently at night, uh, rendered. Um, it's uh, it's superb stuff. It's a really terrific series. And uh, noir isn't written that often now and uh, n- not published in main- by mainstream publishers as much. Um, and so it's good to see him out there and uh, I hope he will continue. Great. And Declan, uh, over to you then. What would your number one choice be? Uh, straight in at number one. Um, Claire McGowan um, has, has she's great reputation with the kind of a series that was set in Northern Ireland. It was uh, about a forensic psychologist. What you did, uh, her novel this year was a standalone, is a standalone, um, probably in the domestic noir camp. It's about a group of friends who were, who were friends back in college. There's an element of the, the old uh, college novel about this, but they've reconvened after about 20 years um, on a Saturday night. There's a few drinks uh, and then the evening is blown apart by an allegation of rape against one, one of the characters who happens to be Ali's husband and Ali is the, the narrator of the story. Um, and and Ali is also the chair of her local woman's refuge. So straight away we see the moral dilemmas and so forth and there's almost enough there to, to sustain an entire novel. But what Claire McGowan then does is take that as her starting point and, and starts throwing moral dilemmas left, right and centre at the characters and obviously uh, at, the, at the reader. Um, absolutely terrific. Beautifully written on a line-by-line basis. You know, an element almost of, of uh, Greek tragedy about this that all these characters are, are going to be you know, brought down by their own hubris and so forth. And uh, yeah, um, for, for a subgenre, the domestic noir, then I'm not the hugest fan in the world of this was absolutely brilliant I thought and sorry just to pick up on your point there about domestic noir why is that not your favourite genre um, I, well I suppose for I came to the crime fiction genre through the private eye and specifically through uh, Raymond Chandler and, and I also love the spy genre because it's a variation of the private eye um, so I suppose to a certain extent when the domestic noir subgenre kind of exploded like you know three or four years ago it was new it was 
fresh. It was saying something uh, quite radical about the genre itself. And, and uh, you know, most of the novels are to do with uh, the danger within, the danger inside the family home and so forth. And, and if we look at the real life statistics, you know, suddenly domestic noir looks quite a, a credible and, and, and realistic subgenre. Um, it has been a little overdone. Uh, to my mind over the last couple of years it seems like every second novel now is a domestic noir and and with everything you know once something becomes mainstream and once everybody starts to pile on inevitably the quality starts to decline Would you agree there, Declan? Uh, To a large degree. Uh, One of the interesting variants within the subgenre is is, though is uh, uh, the kind of um, woman out of control or women behaving badly and uh, I had a debut from Harriet Tice this year Blood Orange about an alcoholic barrister who's having an affair and uh, being a bad mummy and her husband is giving her a hard time and she's going through this sort of chaotic situation this chaotic trajectory and then gradually begins to realise that all is not as it seems within her marriage and the tables gradually turn it's really chilling um but it's just also exhilarating and i think it's a subgenre largely written by women and and some of the writers have taken the opportunity to uh you know, to let women out, so to speak, from the trammeled roles that conventionally they've often been captive in. So from Gone Girl, which maybe was one of the originators. In a weird way, Gone Girl and Girl on the Train are the, are the poles, and Gone Girl, you know, that's a woman behaving badly and rewarded for it. Uh, girl on the Train is, I never really did anything wrong, and, and is almost a pain to female masochism which is a kind of tradition going back to the gothic and another of the origins of the genre um and the, and the and the and the subgenre kind of tacks between those two poles i like it when the bitches be crazy you know when the women really let loose mm-hmm. and that it, that actually taps into a quite a subversive vein that uh that that that's kind of exhilarating if i could maybe pitch in here and say probably my favorite crime novel of the year i hope i'm not going to be and trespassing on your own opinions, or maybe so much the better mm-hmm. if um, if one of you does agree. But um, the third man by sorry, the lost man by um, Jane Harper, I thought was absolutely superb. Yeah. Um, both as you know, just straightforward as a novel, it is absolutely superb. You know, obviously it's in the crime genre, but um, as a portrait of a of a family and the sort of the 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 power dynamics uh, within those relationships and also uh, the depiction of a setting, uh, in this case, the Australian outback, it was just simply outstanding. That was high on my list. Uh, I reviewed it for the paper and and setting is such a huge um, factor. Interestingly, Jane Harper's from Manchester and I drew a comparison with the classic Californian crime novelists Chandler Hammett and Ross MacDonald each of them came from somewhere else. Yeah. So the, the sort of outsider's view can often be a, 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 a kind of clearer or a more vivid one. Um, the other Australian book I had uh, was a debut by a, a journalist, Chris Hammer, called Scrublands. And again, even from the title, the setting was hu- hugely important. There's a very powerful kind of brush fire in it that is, uh, takes a, a dramatic role in the in in the novel. Interestingly, he was taught his journalistic trade by Peter Temple, the late Peter Temple, mm-hmm. the great 
uh, Australian crime novelist who, of course, came from South Africa. <laughs> so uh, there's interesting ways in which, and I think often when we talk about Irish literature, the bardic tradition is so dear to us, perhaps because of our insecurities as a nation historically. We like to think of literature as sort of something that emanates from us, you know, that isn't actually, we don't have to acquire it and pretend like those other nations, like the English. We don't have to make things up like that. It just comes out. You know, and therefore is a true expression. And I like the way in which these writers, there's, there's you know, th- th- there's much more artful misdirection and subterfuge, which as as befits the genre. Is there something in particular about, say, like, like I, I'm just re- thinking back to illustrating um, the reviews, and there's, you know, it's a great rabbit hole to disappear down, going on to Getty Images, and then just looking for something to illustrate. I don't know the Australian outback or whatever. Like there is drama. Um, simply in in the kind of images that that you find or discover there. What about the power of offsetting or backdrop in terms of enhancing a story's appeal? Um, yeah, I, I would. I've always been a fan of. Said, does matter? Doesn't have to be a crime novel to have a, a setting that's you know that's vital uh, to the novel. Um, generally speaking, with you know, with, with any general genre novel, it's 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 the plot that tends to is what the read most of the readers are, are are looking for, and and the setting tends to be tacked on. Jane Harper is uh, uh, not um, not uh, typical in in that respect. Uh, it's almost weaponized, isn't it? In in uh, the lo- the Lost Man, that yeah. the and in Scrublands, that mm. that that the heat, you know, it's like. 42 degrees by the afternoon you know i mean you you, you can't go out it, yeah. it becomes a force and in and in and in scrublands as well it's a force of nature mm-hmm. so i mean i guess we were talking about domestic suspense earlier that's classically a genre in which you know the the drama is psychological mm-hmm. and the settings rarely matter you could transpose those books very often from one pl- place to another and it wouldn't make a great deal of difference sure, sure. um uh so it, so that's not their primary focus um but I guess the the old style, older style, or more classical style, and particularly PI fiction, which uh, neither of those books is particularly, but 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 there's more the isolation in those novels tends to mean a police investigation is much more solitary. You know, there isn't there isn't a sort of incident room to refer to. Sure, there's two yeah. officers sent yeah. into the wilderness, yeah. so by default it becomes a PI novel, yeah. and therefore it's one you know it's one man against yeah. or one woman against the the backdrop. So I think that maybe accounts for it. Not unlike Scandinavia, where the, the, yeah, the settings yeah. become important because the the climate is is is, is not your friend. Yeah, 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 or Fargo or anything. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. absolutely. And Anthony Quinn, who who had a, a novel out early last year, uh, or early this year, I should say, The Listeners, which was a change of pace for him. He usually sets his novels in around Loch Ness and landscape is vital to to that series of novels. Celsius Daily is a, a PSNI um, detective. But with The Listeners, he's changed his setting. We're in the, the, the border of, of Scotland and, and, and England. Um, and it's a fascinating story. It's a kind of a locked room uh, mystery where DS Carla Hearns is called into a, a psychiatric hospital to interview someone who has confessed to murder, but the murder took place 20 miles away and he's been in a locked room, you know, for the past week and so forth, so it's impossible, but he knows all the details. But 
uh, yeah, as I say, Anthony has always been interested in in, in landscape. Um, I, just a quote, the roads dwindled into rough tracks till the only signs of civilization were a few isolated farms lost amid the pines, deserted locks, a lonely landscape of contrasting shades, heathery hills and dense forests. You know, it's as if he's trying to draw, you know, physically draw the reader into this really claustrophobic dark. It's it's, it's a kind of set during the winter months and so forth. Um, and, you know, and then suddenly the, the, the landscape and the weather takes on this kind of, you know, there's a, the pathetic fallacy and so forth. He's very, very good at that. Declan, over to you. We're in Ireland, so uh, hmm. Jane Casey's new novel, which of course is not set in Ireland, but uh, <laughs> another entry in the wonderful Maeve Kerrigan series. Uh, the previous uh, Kerrigan novel was very concerned with the plot, and she pulled back on the whole personal life and the drama between her and and Derwent, her 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 boss. And um, in the new book, it's 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 ramped up again uh, to a very satisfactory level there's a reappearance from her ex um, and uh, she just delivers very very strong uh, story and a terrific character that um, and you know you, the, the plots fade away you couldn't you know a year from now I won't be able to remember what each of those books mm-hmm. was about mm-hmm. individually but I think I know Maeve Kerrigan and I think that's the the, the appeal of a great of a great uh, crime series Comparisons are invidious, but <laughs> it would it be fair to say that Jane Casey is probably one of the best, if not the best, uh, Irish crime writer on the go at the moment? Or is that a Martin. hostage to fortune? <laughs> Martin, we have, to, we have to exit this building and walk the streets of Dublin. Are you insane? <laughs> I, I, I adore Jane Casey's novels for the same reason as I adore uh, Alex Barclay's novels, in particular her Ren Bryce novels that are set in, in Colorado. There's this kind of public-private dynamic between the you know the character as a public persona and a private persona and two are very much often at odds you know it's almost the Philadelphia here I come vibe yeah. that that's kind of going on um, and it reveals that these you know they're tough they're ambitious they're smart characters in public and then in private you know the reader is access to this vulnerability and this second guessing and so forth um, and and yeah Jane Jane has simultaneously they seem to come up with it independently but I. Two brilliant, uh, two brilliant voices. One in Colorado, one set in London. Even yeah. though they're both Irish. And I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, 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 the next Jane Casey novel. But also, it's worth mentioning Alex Barclay had a great uh, excursion this year. Her first novel set wholly in Ireland, and it sounds a little bit like the Claire McGowan novel you were talking about. Right. It's a, it's a reunion at which revelations uh, emerge. Set in the Barra Peninsula, and um, murder follows quickly behind. <laughs> so uh, and not just one. And not just one. No, no. That, and so that was uh, terrifically enjoyable, um, and it was a bit of a gap from her. So it was good to it was good to see her back. And then I guess in the Irish terms I mean A Book of Bones was was a magnum opus from John Connolly just a an extraordinary three, three novels three novels it one. felt like <laughs> a, yeah a very very large tome indeed um, but a, a superb and that saga is just going from strength to strength yeah. um, there were sophomore uh, books by uh, Olivia Kernan uh, uh, an interesting debut by Catherine Kerwin um, I don't know if you had any other Irish uh, Dervla McTiernan's The Ruin which was another sophomore uh, yeah. and again set in Galway which is unusual because apart from Ken Bruin it's been largely ignored as a sighting and I think it's a terrific um, I, I really liked it it was a real Ross MacDonald kind of sense of skeletons oh. dancing in, in, in closets and, and it's, it's I mean we won't give away too I much really about want the plot, to read, I, I think I think we should say 
say this because Declan and I divide the books up. Mm. And very often I say, oh, that's for Declan's month. I must get round to that. But then when you're reading 35 or 40 <laughs> yeah. books a year yeah. for your own column, you're thinking, here's my list. And then my, my pile in the room has got larger and larger. And so I would derville McTurn is someone I really want to catch okay. up with. Very good. You know? my, if I could just say my favourite, I think, of the, certainly the most idiosyncratic uh, Irish debut, uh, Oak and Stone by Dave Duggan, mm-hmm. uh, which is set in Derry, um, opens with the uh, local football hero who has been executed and left on the penalty spot of the Derry football stadium, not the Brandywell, mm-hmm. apparently. This is a slightly al- uh, alternative uh, universe or parallel universe. Um, the main character is uh, Edmund Slevin, he's a detective with the PSNI, but again, it's a not the PSNI we might recognise um, and he's an ex-Republican prisoner himself has come out um, starts out as a normal kind of investigation but very quickly becomes a kind of existential exploration of where is Northern Ireland right now, where is it likely to go especially in terms of, of policing it by which I mean that Slevin eventually kind of realises that he is the most likely candidate for the murder that he is investigating himself, that kind of playful, mm. um, slightly offbeat, slightly absurdist sense of humour um, really really enjoyed it kind of reminded me uh, a much much darker and maybe more philosophical uh, Colin Bateman, that kind of novel. Um, but I really hope to see much more from from uh, from Dave Duggan. Okay, great. Um, maybe if I could uh, interject again here, like again, I think I can't remember which of you guys introduced me to him, but I'm delighted that you did. Uh, McCarran, who I interviewed earlier this year, and his Sly House or Jackson Lamb series <laughs> just seems to me to go from strength to strength whereas with some series mentioning no names sometimes you kind of feel there's a law of diminishing returns where it becomes a bit formulaic um with you know his latest one i think he's sort of you know almost reaching another level in terms of the the political satire but also the the tightness of the plotting and just the richness of the language like it came as no surprise to me to discover that he'd actually started out writing poetry um, of all things because there is a richness to the, the language it's which an, is it's an amazing blend isn't yeah. it because there's a there's a sort of Tom Sharpian quality to the farce <laughs> sometimes yeah. and then there's this just beautiful apostrophizing every book opens with this kind of you know the cat is is, is climbing <laughs> yeah. the the, yeah, the stairs yeah. and you're just entranced so he has he has voice, so many yeah. registers I Joe Country is the the book this year and if you haven't read them you need you know, what are you doing you need to read you need to listen to us and read them all um he is he is what is he the Le Carre of our time the, he's the I think he's going to be the Mick Heron of our time I mean, <laughs> yeah, he, he is yeah, very yeah. distinctive what I loved in this new one was the foregrounding of a, 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 he's a bunch of series characters who come into the foreground every and, and then recede and Catherine Standish who uh, and her struggles with alcoholism and she's a kind of more somber more serious she's she's probably the adult in the entire room in the entire house and 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 she featured to great poignant effect um in 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 this one i I mean maybe a book or two ago there seemed to me to be a a plot too many and Mm. and 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 a few effects too many and maybe an explosion that we could have done without and that's always a balance where you're very often i think a book in a series is answering the last book and and so if the previous one was too kinetic then then this one will slow down a little and 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 draw in um but it's yeah no it's just so reliable are there any others in that kind of uh spy or genre that um stand out for you or 
Uh, I'm going to say Alan first because even though I haven't read it yet, it's published later this month. Uh, month and I'll, it's and I'll on be, my list. It's okay. in, in my bag. Okay, that means I won't be reviewing it, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Um, Alan first is, and he's historical spy fiction, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, they're generally pre World War II or during World War II. Um, I, I suppose what I like, I mean, the, the Jean Le Carre reference is, is not given lightly because every new spy novelist is referred to Le Carre. But what Le Carre did, that idea of, of employing the, the, the secret services as a metaphor for the decline of, of Britain on the world stage and so forth, you know, that is exactly the mantle that, that, uh, that McCurran has taken up. Um, at a time when I think John Le Carre, who is a master, and of course I'm a huge fan, his novels have become, um, shall we say, more more personal and, and, and less less political, um, and, and more concerned, I think, with perhaps scoring points than uh, maybe entertaining the reader. Uh, whereas McCurran is now employing those narrative uh, conventions that Le Carre did, um, with with much more of a sense of humour, yeah. uh, I think, which reflects the the. the the absurdity of the world that we live in and that an intelligence service must must try to must try to live in and it also reflects I think, you know, when Le Carre started writing first, for all its faults, we'll say, you know, the MI five or MI six they were largely respected by the British people for doing mm. what they did. Now, the intelligence services, and this is where Slough House and, and the, mm. the slow horses of, of, of Jackson Lamb come in, there is no credibility, yeah. you know, and, and every time something goes wrong, mm-hmm. it's why didn't you catch that? And every time something goes right, well, that's your job. And of the course way he skewers are clearly Gove and Johnson. Sure, you know? absolutely. It's a remarkable yeah. prescience. I mean, I, Le Carre always had extra credibility because he had been a spy, but I, I don't necessarily think, you know, a, a crime writer needs to have been a detective in, in order to gain full authenticity. So whatever McHeron, however his imaginings work and whatever information he has access to, mm. his ability to feel and think himself into that world means you, you, you do feel six months later having read one of his books, that the, the events unfold pretty much. He was on to Russian money and, and, and Russian operating, Russians operating British politicians years ago, you know. Um, it's, it's uncanny. We just, if I can just touch, we just touched on private eyes, and as, as Dex says, we don't get a lot of private eyes uh, these days, unfortunately. Kate Atkinson does an mm. absolutely wonderful job. Big Sky was her novel this year. Jackson Brody is her private. I think it is it the fifth or the sixth Jackson yeah. Brody novel. It, it doesn't. You don't need to read them in sequence. You can you can read them as standalones. Um, and and Jackson Brody doesn't like to call himself a private eye. If I can quote, too Chandler-esque. He says it raised people's expectations. <laughs> Set in the north of England, it's there's, there's a kind of contemporary crime that's linked to historical crime um, of, of sex abuse, but. You know, the plot is important and they're well constructed, but really the reason I read Kate Atkinson is for her worldview, or the worldview she allows Jackson Brody, which is this deliciously blackly humour. And of course he's an old fogey and he's looking around at the world and thinking, you know, harumphing and, you know, when did things, uh, you know, turn into, you know, such a such a mess and so forth. Very funny, very black, and, and it's not just about, it's not a first-person private eye. She also always brings in these kind of smaller, uh, you know, kind of characters around the, the externals that, that are always very funny. Anyway, wonderful stuff. If you're pining for private eye material and you haven't picked up the Kate Atkinson's, I'd recommend it highly. And we said we weren't going to mess with the whole literary fiction, crime fiction, but there's, <laughs> there's Kate Atkinson writing crime fiction, apparently. Who knew? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I know that both of us uh, uh, pitched to you 
uh, standalones uh, for Kate Atkinson and also for Laura Lippman that um, Deck Burke ended up uh, reviewing, but it's on my list. Uh, I, if it's not the best, it's near the best because Laura's books are always so extraordinary. And what she has done, she started off with a long-running PI series and then has, has since been writing a series of standalones centered around women, always described as crime fiction, in which there are crimes that are central, but um, they're always considerably more complex than that. I think what could we best describe The Lady of in the Lake as a kind of, there's a multi-voice quality to it that portrays a city in a particular time, Baltimore in the 60s, but it's also one woman's odyssey, provoked by, she's a good Jewish housewife, um, a little bored, and a contemporary of hers from school arrives to dinner and he is a, a TV show host. And you're not told what she feels, but three months later, she's out of her marriage. And it's like, this was the provocation too far. This was the one that exposed her domestic mediocrity, the one that said, you need to get a grip of your life. And it's her trajectory towards what, finding her consciousness, it's very tied into that, that, that rise of the 60s, independence, sexual, financial independence, and eventually pursuing a career as a journalist. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's, an, it's not a long book, but it's an epic in terms of the ground it in, covers. In, incredibly condensed. I mean, now that, now that Deck Hughes has raised the spectre of, of literary and, and, and genre fiction, I, I would suggest this is not a crime novel at all. Mm. Um, I, I think, and, and I gave it to my wife after I'd read it, I thought it was terrific, and she said, she came back, she says, there's not much of a crime in this, but it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. For the reasons that Deck is saying, this is, it's a portrait of one woman and her city as both kind of evolved through the 60s and into the 70s and you know it's about civil rights it's about women rights it's about you know developing an independence and, and you know it is a love letter to a city I don't know if Laura Lippmann has fully committed to it. you know she understands that it's not perfect and Baltimore and so forth but yeah it's, it's a beautiful novel had, had you taken the crime fiction element of the plot out of it, mm -hmm. the novel would have stood perfectly well, I think, on its own. I mean, there is an investigation that she pursues. She doesn't have to pursue that to make this a great novel. I think it's a marvellous piece of work. It's funny because sometimes it happens the other way, doesn't it? Like The Goldfinch, <coughs> for example, by Donna Tartt is a literary novel that has a chunk of um, crime fiction thrown in there, which personally... I don't think works terribly well. I don't know if either of you have read it or. Yeah, I've, it. I've, I've read it. I'm more right. of a fan. I know it's a book mm -hmm. a lot of people didn't like, but uh, I liked all of that investigation uh, aspect. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'd prefer not to get rigid a bit. I mean, The Lady Absolutely, in the Lake is, yeah, and she yeah. borrows the title from Chandler. Sure. And the Lady in the Lake is, after all, the ghost of, the, of a dead woman. And, and you know, it, 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 it takes a cross, it's a cross section of the city. And. The woman meets her death in the sort of dodgy enterprise and so there's financial malfeasance, there's the ways in which a city is run. I mean, I feel if we, we can broaden the definition of the of the genre, it's more well, well, I know, I know you think the same thing. I mean, yeah, but yeah. Uh, to just take the part that, that uh, the point that Martin makes, that, you know, had, had Laura's editor gone, you know what, we're going to ask you to publish this under a pseudonym mm. and we're going to publish it as, as you know, Bal Baltimore's yeah. answer to Donna Tartt, mm -hmm. then nobody would have batted an eyelid. Yeah. Well, and what I think is a tribute to Laura is that she, 
she insists she is yes, part of the genre true. and therefore Absolutely, expands yeah. the yeah. possibilities of the genre rather than defining it so what it, this is the you know Dennis Dehane famously said no one no one says about a series hey the seventeenth one was my favorite <laughs> you know <laughs> um, so 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 it's not just about those series it's not just about the books that read like blueprints for TV dramas you know it's about it's about the whole gamut of of stuff and. Our job is to find the stuff that is at the on the good side. Um, uh, Could we break away from maybe uh, uh, crime novels then, and maybe just you mentioned sort of TV dramas, or whatever? Mm-hmm. Are there is there adaptations that you have seen in the last twelve months that have particularly impressed you that have been based on on crime fiction? Do any spring to mind? Not adaptations, but I'm watching a new series of Spiral at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, which is maybe the eighth or the ninth, mm-hmm. and it's just the best thing. Uh, Grenage yeah. in 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 front. We in our house we pretentiously call it Spiral, and then <laughs> and someone told us that it was actually the English version. We, uh-huh. We're we're just going to go with that because yeah, that's yeah. the way Spiral. That's the way we roll. It's ridiculous, um, but it is so brilliant. I was thinking about it. The 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 main uh, the main detective's a woman, Laura, and she kind of occupies the brooding space that would traditionally have been occupied by a man. She doesn't necessarily, she doesn't wisecrack. She's always anxious about the case. Her domestic life is a disaster. She's always having affairs with colleagues. Uh, just had a baby, doesn't know how to look after it. And it, it, I mean, it, it's, it, it's not treated lightly. It's, it's very gritty. Um, the current season has the, uh, uh, the most shots of what we think of as pa- the Paris we'd visit for a weekend, the the fifth and the sixth. Um, previously, it was all in the banlieues. It was all, you know, in- in- incredibly uh, 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 dark and, and and gritty. But 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 the the accomplishment of her, um, just holding her own, and gradually you're just drawn to her. And 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 you know every scene you're thinking what 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 what's she up to? So you're living with her in a way. It's unusual for a woman, a female character in a series. The, often the strong female character has to prove she's strong, you know, has to kick ass and solve crimes and not fail. And, you know, and it's just like an, an exhibition of her strength, whereas Laura has just consistently come through and uh, it's, it's fabulous. Great. Declan, can you match that? Yeah, I'm afraid I can't because I, I find it very difficult to watch the, uh, to watch crime series on TV it's, I don't know why I think it's because I can always hear the, the, the clock ticking in my mind and you're watching the you know as, as it ticks towards 5 to 9 you know or 5 to 10 the, the, the crime will have to be solved or the, the end is coming um, Death in Paradise is my contribution uh, the, uh, the, Agat- the yes yeah the Agatha Christie set in the Caribbean so right. there's an episode there's eight episodes every year and it's yeah. a kind of a locked room mystery every week yeah. um, and, and you know Art Lahanna is the current um, the ship in a, a British detective to work with the, or, the uh, or, or Irish as the case may be um, to work with the local police force, and and he's a genius, you know, genius who managed to work out these. And and you're watching it, of course, for the setting and so forth. Um, it's all very, very low key. It's, we watch it with our daughter, who's 11. So you know, there's you know, it's very pleasant and so forth. I'm terrible at watching the TV. True Detective is that the the, the yeah. thing? So I mean, I only caught up with that di- this year, so yeah. that's how far behind the curve I am. And and watch no, watch this. Watch the second one. Thought it was quite poor. I thought, I thought the, the first, first one was brilliant. Superb. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I hated it. I found it really slow, pretentious. 
Southern Gothic, man. It's the Gothic. Obsessed with the pain of men, you know. I'm so bored with the pain of men. Even your own. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Especially. I, I, I think it's vulgar to know about one's own pain. I'd rather ignore it. Pretend it's not, it's not there. Uh, okay, back to the text. Um, Declan, what's your next offering? Uh, one of my absolute favourites from the, from the year was uh, Things in Jars by Jess Kidd um, again historical fiction wouldn't have been a strong suit uh, of mine before this year I read a couple of really good ones Things in Jars it opens in London in 1863 and it's we have a, a a detective uh, called Bridie Devine who is she she assists the, the Metropolitan Police she's not officially a detective of course um, but she also has the ability to see uh, supernatural uh, manifestations all of these things should be to me complete anathema the way Jess Kidd writes she has all the gifts she's absolutely fabulous the the opening sequence in which it starts with a kind of a raven's eye view of London and it swoops down and almost follows the sinewy kind of thems as it, and then it becomes closer and closer Dickensian descriptions of, of London at the time very very funny great plot and a very very sinister uh, story about collectors who collect you know all sorts of intriguing um, and interesting very you know Victorian kind of mentality you know including people so there's very contemporary resonances of about uh, you know male ownership and, and the male gaze and, and, and what man and what the patriarchy feels entitled to collect and keep uh, and all these things yeah absolute work of art I think this novel there seems to be a fascination with uh, Victorian London I'm thinking of um, I think it was probably last year but it was Porrick O'Donnell's The House in Vesper Sands mm-hmm. I don't know if you read it or not but it had a wonderful sort of take sort of slightly tongue in cheek I think but um, you know, brilliant um, evocation of of that period or whatever, and again, you know, a slight hint of the supernatural. We were talking um, before um, we started recording about sort of maybe trends and stuff, and Declan, one of the trends that you th- thought you'd noticed or a, a little bit here and there was maybe a, a, a rise in sort of um, the supernatural as a, just an element maybe in yeah, Things in Jars is a very good example. Another one would be, uh, was it late last year, Henrietta McCurvey's uh, Violet Hill, which was, I mean, there's a historical and a contemporary um, story strand, but in the historical one, you know, the, it's, again, it's a, Violet Hill is a, is a private investigator. There's visionary stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, which is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle gets embroiled and, and she's effectively trying to investigate whether he has been conned and so forth. Um, but again, you know, this... On, on, on the face of it, it sounds ridiculous, you know, that these people saw, uh, you know, fairies at the bottom of the garden and there was voices coming through. But actually, what Henry Ann McCurvey does really well is she conveys that post-World War One sense of trauma, not mm. just to the, the men coming back from the war, but mm. the entire society have, have been devastated. And, yeah. and, and this sense of loss, how do we reclaim these young men that have been lost on, on a scale that had never been seen before? William Ryan's book last year as well. Uh, House of Ghosts? Is, that, uh, is, is it House of Ghosts? It's set in a English country house, and it's again, it's while the First World War is going on, and it's about spiritualism, fake spiritualism, and then at an extraordinary moment in the novel, you realise one of them is actually real, and you can actually see visions. And she, he, he does it so uh, cunningly that you think, yeah, we know what's going to happen. It's going to be debunked, and and of course the First World War, the whole thing of the desperation many families felt, spiritualism just spiked. Sure. People were desperate for some 
message and some logic to the yeah. to, to the to the slaughter. Again, a slightly uh, hop of genre, but I've just read recently Andrew Michael Hurley's Starvaker. Mm. I don't know if you read any of his yeah, stuff, but it's kind of um, sort of uh, Northern Gothic, or I'm not sure the other terms for using. But again, in it, um, um, a child has died, and there is a desperation on the part of the parents to kind of particularly the the mother to uh, to reconnect or to maintain, and so. There's a you know the reaching out to um, a spiritualist or whatever who you know makes some kind of a connection to the lost child or whatever and it's very powerfully done as well. Very very powerfully because again you know as the rationalist sits down to read the book and then when the page is open you, you absolutely 100% empathise with this particularly the mother as you say her need and her desire and of course you're putting yourself what if that were I and of course I would pull at every single straw if I thought that you know it was going to help Uh, yeah it's a terrific novel that Starbaker The Swallows by Lisa Lutz Uh, Lisa Lutz wrote a a great series about the Spellman family who's a family of private detectives and she's got a great quirky uh, sense of humour there's a walk-on role for a woman of a certain age uh, who is uh, sort of fond of drinking and slacking and not quite uh, pursuing her life goals. Um, In this uh, novel, uh, she is teaching creative writing by mistake at a school. So it reads like a kind of pastiche of the secret history on one level, there are there's a nefarious society uh, society of boys who are blackmailing the girls into certain things the girls would rather not be doing, um, and uh, so and 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 it's the story of how the girls break free, mm-hmm. and the school has been historically a scandal waiting to happen. So there are bad things in the past, skeletons in every closet, and um, it's quite liberating. It's very funny, and 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 she mixes the tones very successfully, um, but. But it adds up to a kind of cry of rage and an inspiring kind of battle cry for, I said in the paper, I think, for, uh, for teenage girls of all ages and their brothers. Um, so it's just, uh, it's great fun. Folks, thanks for some wonderful recommendations there. Um, if I could just, um, as a little sort of um, postscript, ask you, Declan, I know you've got a book coming out um, any oh, day now, uh, the Lamasters. Could you tell us a little bit about it? I believe uh, it's not your typical crime novel. It's something quite different. Well, we have Declan Hughes' word that no crime novel is a typical <laughs> crime crime novel. Um, yeah, a bit of a change of pace for me. I have previously written um, crime novels that are pretty, you know, uh, conventional in terms of the tropes and so forth. This is much more a comic novel, I think. Set in Hollywood in 1923, we have a, an Anglo-Irish uh, aristocrat, or so Archibald, um, who, who travels to California in 1923. He's he's uh, he's got a fine family fortune and thus must be in need of a chorus doll. That's his opinion, um, and he meets with Vanessa Hopgood, who's a star of the silent screen. She's stepping out with uh, Rusty McGrew, uh, who is the, uh, the the most notorious bootlegger in the uh, in the city, and due to one reason or another, forced to go on the lamb. Hence the uh, the title, the Lamisters. So it's it's a bit of a historical comic uh, novel, but there's a lot of incongruity in the way that they speak to one another. For example, there is likely to quote Shakespeare or Jane Austen, as they are to use the kind of hard boiled um, jargon. Um, yeah. Uh, 
Flan O'Brien, Lawrence Stern, these would have been heavy influences for me uh, for this for, for, for the writing of this and a huge amount of huge amount of fun uh, to write to the extent that I cannot believe still two weeks short of publication that anyone is insane enough to publish but in fact they seem to be so uh, yeah I hope people if they enjoy it half as much as I did write this uh, Add it to our <laughs> <laughs> Fair play to the publisher. It's No Alibis Press. No Alibis Press. Emma Warnock is the uh, the editor as Angel uh, there. She's uh, yeah, she's been fantastic, and uh, yeah, we'll be launching us in, uh, in in the Gutter Bookshop on the fifteenth of November and the week following in uh, No Alibis in Belfast. Fantastic. And Declan, I know that you're a hard-working, busy man teaching creative writing at UCD, God knows what else, but is there any writing project um, that you've got on uh, the boy? I have a, we were just at, had a break for reading week and I was looking at a novel that I think is finished, but uh, so um, I may be ready to venture out into the world. Uh, I'll have to have another look at it before the end of the year and uh, if I'm happy with it, then um, we'll go. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your wisdom with us. Um, and here's to some great crime writing in 2020. Thanks, Martin. Thank Cheers, Martin. Cheers. You've been listening to myself, Martin Doyle, books editor of the Irish Times, and our two crime fiction reviewers, Declan Burke and Declan Hughes. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and tune in again next month. Green and Black's Velvet Edition range introduces a variety of signature flavours in a smooth, velvety finish. Made with the finest ingredients and ethically sourced cocoa, choose Green and Black's chocolate and escape the ordinary. 